three, two, one, and hello, it's Cam. Welcome back to another ep of This Might Be Helpful, and I sincerely hope that it is. Today, we're going to go a little bit deeper into what it means to roll the bones, what it means to cultivate a life of freedom and impact and fulfillment, a life of ikigai. And this piggybacks off of a concept I talked about a few months ago, which was, should I take the safe job or the job that is less safe but might make me happier in the long run? And that depends, because safety is an illusion and happiness stems from choice, and ikigai is a gift. It is a reason for being. It is a place of belonging. It is a cross-section between what you love, what you're good at, what the world needs, and what you can be paid for. And the real question is, will you allow your memories to become a series of what-ifs for the sake of fulfilling other people's limited expectations and beliefs? Will you allow the opinions of people with no vision to stop you from creating yours? Because Ikigai is a celebration, a celebration of being alive celebration of each small step and each sacred breath to find your ikigai you must first accept yourself breathe life into the fire within you because one day it will go out ikigai can be found in every step found in the chiseling of the woodworker the plucking of the harpist it can be found in the movement of the yogi and the wisdom of the psychologist can be found between the locked eyes of two mortal beings and the spark of connection that comes from intention. Ikigai is being. It is you, and you are irreplaceable if you allow that authenticity to come to the surface. And that's all nice and maybe motivational, maybe inspirational, but it's not very concrete, is it? It's not tangible. It's a... Committing to the energy that comes from doing things that you are passionate about. But how do we actually go about those things? Where do we start and how do we build a mindset that allows us to cultivate the clarity that we need to make decisions that build towards the life that we want to create? And I'm going to start this off with specific information. If you want to be successful, you want to achieve that success doing things you are truly passionate about, then you must gather specific knowledge and specific information. Naval Ravikant, who is one of my all-time favorite thought leaders and educators, he talks about specific knowledge as something found by pursuing your innate talents, your genuine curiosity, and your passion. Specific knowledge can't be taught, it can't be trained, it can't be automated, you can't go to college to get it because it is diverse and nuanced, as diverse and nuanced as you. Gaining specific knowledge will look like work to others, but feel like play to you. It means you got to make it up as you go. Absorb everything along the way and develop yourself into a multidisciplinary person. If you gain specific knowledge by following the dopamine, you might not think that it's important in the moment, but one day you will be able to connect the dots and put it together in a way that no one else can. So following the dopamine just means acting quickly upon curiosity when it comes into your awareness, when it comes into the space that is you. Because that curiosity is a, a source of infinitely replenishable energy. And by feeding that curiosity, giving it what it wants, you strengthen that curiosity because it is a muscle. And a lot of people have 
had curiosity almost bred out of them or stifled or suffocated because we are living to the expectations of a very programmed and institutionalized society. So following that curiosity can often feel or seem irresponsible in the eyes of other people. And it might feel irresponsible in the eyes of yourself, especially if you don't know where that curiosity is leading to, if it feels like it has no purpose. But curiosity in and of itself is the purpose. It is a purpose. It is the vessel for letting things sift and stick into your mind in a way that learning things by rote simply won't achieve. Learning something because you think you have to is going to be a more arduous process than learning something because you want to. And there are things that we should learn, especially at the beginning of this journey of Ikigai, the journey of the self-employed founder, entrepreneur. You have to wear a lot of hats. You have to learn everything that you can learn until you get to a position where you can decide what to eliminate, what to automate, what to delegate, allowing you to keep your mind where it is most effective where it is most curious, where it is most passionate. But this leads into the next point, which is what you work on is important, but who you work on it with is equally, if not more important. And we want to surround ourselves with the people that are innately and naturally geared towards skill sets and efficacy in the domains that we lack. If you are a creative visionary, and you know that you're very good at wedding photography, film, videography, post-production and editing, and you really love that, but you suck at taxes, or you historically have found it challenging to maintain responsibility and clarity within that domain, then liaise with people that understand that very well, because they will be lacking in certain domains that you can help them with. And it is a mutual exchange. It is collaboration over competition. It is creating from a place of leveraged wisdom and insight and skill set. This allows you to implement the information that you learn because information without implementation is empty. It is hearsay. You don't want to allow knowledge to outpace execution. As you gain knowledge, you should be applying that knowledge. You know, reading is faster than watching, doing is faster than reading, but big dreams are built by small steps and applying your learnings actively will result in experience. And experience is information consolidated and made personally relevant through the process of your own life. Along the way, you're going to have to disregard opinions as well. Because Ikigai does not thrive under the expectations of others. And you are under no compulsion to live up to those expectations of others. It's going to feel like it for sure. We don't want to disappoint the people around us. We want them to believe in us. We want them to help foster and perpetuate the vision that we have. But we must realize that we have the freedom to make the life decisions that suit us best. And we can't allow the perceived disappointment of others to dictate those choices. The process of creating freedom and fulfillment often means going against the status quo, against familial demands and societal expectations. In order to be right first, you are wrong in the eyes of everybody else, and that's a lot to deal with. Those are big feelings to feel. But we won't find the validation we're seeking in the counsel of pessimists and cynics because their beliefs are self-fulfilling. 
But for every person that says you can't, there are an equal number of people that will say that you can. And not only will they say that you can, they will help you figure out how to do it. We don't want uh, empty validation. We don't want validation just because somebody's trying to make us feel nice. We want the type of validation that helps us dissect our ideas, identify the blind spots, and create systems and procedures and protocols that help to prop up those blind spots so that they're no longer blind spots. We need to find that validation from within, develop the capacity to generate dopamine from intrinsic reward. And that intrinsic reward comes from finding joy in the small steps and the little micro decisions and micro actions we engage in throughout our day. But that doesn't mean that it is without stress. It is very stressful to forge your own path. There will be times that you feel like giving up. There will be times where nothing seems like it's working and then everything seems like it's working. Times where nothing seems to make sense and then everything makes sense. And we are kind of this ebb and flow within that, these converging omnidirectional energies and we're kind of compressed within the two. But if we can harness that pressure and allow it to refine us, then we can embrace the stress that leads to performance enhancement. There is a four-step process that you can use to turn stress from a buzzkill into actual buzz. And this was outlined by Professor Andrew Huberman and Dr. Elia Crum in her podcast about mindset. And this is one of the most epic podcasts I've ever listened to. I highly recommend that you go back and listen to that. Dr. Elia Crum, I'll link it in the bio below. But your mindset is the bridge between your conscious and subconscious mind. It is how negative beliefs manifest in negative experiences and how positive beliefs can produce positive experiences. And to capitalize on stress, there are four steps, of course, open to interpretation and the nuanced flavor of your own insight. But step one is to alter our definition of stress disassociate stress from its negative connotations and realize that it is the neutral and natural effect of adversity in any goal-related effort. So to feel stressed means that you are playing a role in this outcome. Acknowledge that stress. That's step number two. Acknowledge that you are stressed. Own it. See it. Be mindful of it. If you're stressed about being stressed, then you are perpetuating a spiral that follows itself downward, and that's no fun. Step three is realize that stress means you care about the outcome and that you have a role to play in shaping it. If you don't, stop stressing. And step four is understand that the total effect of anything is a combined product of what we're doing and what we think about what we're doing. If we adopt the mindset that stress can enhance our performance, it will help to enhance our performance. And stress does release a wonderful cascade of excitatory chemicals and we tend to associate those chemicals of stress with uh, negativity, like we should avoid being stressed. But there's avoidance and there's harnessing, and then there's realizing or becoming aware of the moments when that stress is mostly a side effect of burnout. That's when you're getting stressed about things that wouldn't usually make you stressed. It's when our tolerance for external events and the problems that are bound to pop up in your inbox have a greater 
control and impact upon that internal state than they might usually have. We have to cultivate a position of strength if we are to capitalize on stresses, performance-enhancing aspects. And this is something that will occur over time, but the more you tell yourself that stress can be good, that you can benefit from volatility and uncertainty and change, and that you have the confidence in your current toolkit that whatever you are greeted with, you will make the best decision that you can with what you have available, and when you know better, you can do better. Doing your best is something that changes day by day. Sometimes doing your best is getting a solid workout in, going for a walk, doing some journaling, making a nice breakfast for yourself, writing out your intentions for the day. Sometimes doing your best is waking up and getting up and getting out of bed and putting a piece of toast in the toaster and saying, this will do for today because I'm doing my best. Give yourself the space and the freedom from external pressures to feel how you feel. And on the days where you don't feel it, don't do it. Allow that freedom of uh, restoration to come into play because what is the benefit of forging your own path and becoming self-sufficient and independent and financially stable if you cannot say fuck it on certain days and read a book in the sunshine and turn off your phone? The hustle mentality, the grind mentality should not motivate you from a perspective of guilt and shame that you should be doing something more productive. Guilt and shame does not necessarily lead to enhanced performance at work. They are very short-term motivators. And when they are our motivators, it's work from a position of scarcity rather than abundance. Scarcity around your time, scarcity around your attention, scarcity around competition in the market. But remember, if the goal is to allow our most authentic selves to be embodied in what we do and what we put out into the world, then there is no competition. There is no competition for you to be you. Nobody else is going to do it. Nobody else can do it. And to think any other way means that you are busy trying to be somebody else. And I know that I recommended that you try that in the last podcast, and I still believe it is true that when you don't know where to go and you don't know what to say and you don't know what to do, then mimic the people that you find inspiration in. Through that mimicry and through connecting the dots of your own curiosity, you will begin to find that authentic flavor and that authentic version of yourself. And then it's a process of becoming the best in the world at what you do and continuing to redefine what you do until that is true, allowing more of yourself to come into what you do for your vocation, what you do for your ikigai. And along the way, you'll need to cultivate clarity. And cultivating clarity to me is capturing that clarity through expression. It can be difficult to explain your passions and your ideas and your ambitions to people because intuition doesn't really use words. Your intuition is speaking through an energy that is very difficult to confine to the narrow parameters of language. But if you learn to recognize and surrender to that pulsation of energy that is your intuition, then one day as you continue to refine that, as you continue to bring it into your actions, your daily implementations, you will be able to summarize it, at least in a way that allows you to communicate it to others. But you don't have to yet. You can do you. You don't have to explain all of your reasonings. 
but you should learn how to explain them to yourself. You should get in the habit of writing out your thoughts, if only to continue refining your own clarity around what you're doing. It is a process of expression, and that writing every day will grant you true clarity. And today's going to be a short episode because I've got things to do and consults to uh, engage in. But I'm going to end this on two things. One is end game visualization versus next step visualization. Because a lot of manifestation focuses on end game visualization. But there is no end game. And you can manifest till the cows come home, but you have to back it up with decisions. And if that end game visualization is only serving to increase the distance between where you are and where you want to be, then it's not going to lend itself to the small decisions that we must implement on a day-to-day basis that decide, act, evaluate, decide, act, evaluate. If you think about the people on social media that are living your, quote, stream, how glamorized is that dream? And how far away is it from where you are now? Does engaging with that content fill you with inspiration or hopelessness? Is what you are seeing an accurate representation of the process or is it a polished, published presentation of that process? If we draw ourselves back to where our feet are now, we can practice next step visualization, sending out that next email to that potential client, posting that next thing on social media, calling the post office to figure out why your packages keep going missing in e-commerce as a personal problem. No worries. But practicing next step visualization allows you to more coherently build the steps that it will take to achieve that vision of yours. And that vision will change over time. And it's certainly not a concrete thing. And the final thing that I'll leave you with today is do not underestimate the power of being underestimated. You want to be successful. You fail fast. You fail often. You act with intention. You remove expectation. You embrace mistakes. Observe your doubts. Practice radical self-acceptance. And that holistic, cohesive way of being will flow into the way that you operate and the way that you work and what you create and what you provide and the value you give to the people around you, the gift that your passion becomes to the world you inhabit. Thank you for being here. Thank you for spending some time with me. I sincerely hope this episode was helpful. Uh, Thank you to our sponsor, me, for bringing this episode out today. If you would like to engage in one of those consultation sessions yourself, you can find the link in the description below. And if you did enjoy today's episode, then please let me know. Leave me a review and I will talk to you next week. Bye.